Okay, let's, uh, let's go ahead and open in a little prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this night and for the opportunity to come together. We pray that you would speak to us uh, through one another and through your word, and that the words of our mouths and the meditations of all of our hearts might be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. All right, so just briefly, I want to recap where we've been the last few weeks, um, very briefly. So we talked a little bit about our problem uh, and, and sort of the, the increasing division in our country along political lines. We talked a little bit about Jesus's context and how um, if we think we're divided, we got no idea what it was like in the first century AD. Uh, we talked about his solution to identity-based politics, which was a, a kingdom of God worldview. And we talked about embracing complexity. And last week we talked about the power of imagination. Uh, and uh, we, we ended last week talking about you know, the idea that the duopoly of our political culture can kind of limit us. Um, but Jesus calls us to imagine the most beautiful possible story about whatever um, from a kingdom of God worldview. So that's kind of where we ended last time. And tonight, I want to talk a little bit about distractions versus substance. Distractions versus substance. So has anybody ever heard the um, expression, uh, the tail wagging the dog? Yeah, oh, yeah. okay. We're familiar with that. Uh, so yeah. obviously the, the metaphor here is, you know, the dog is the main thing, the tail is attached, the dog should wag the tail. When the, when the minor thing, the tail wags the dog, you've got a problem. Um, there was a movie that came out um, with Dustin Hoffman and Robert De Niro called Wag the Dog. Anybody seen this movie? Okay, um, if you've not seen it, I'm gonna show you a little trailer and I want you to pay attention because I'm gonna ask you some questions about it um, after the trailer's over, okay? So it's not complicated, but uh, this is a trailer from a movie in uh, I think 1997. There's a crisis in the White House. What's the crisis? And the president's oh. top advisors have been called together. Oh, jeez. Sexual misconduct occurred inside the Oval Office. With the election only days away, how much will this scandal affect the outcome? The president spent the weekend pressing the flash. He wasn't campaigning, he was dating. Now, Washington's top spin doctor. We can distract the press for 11 days to the election. I think we got a chance. Has an idea. <laughs> the appearance of a war, but he can't pull it off without Hollywood's top producer. Uh, do I know you? We have some mutual friends in Washington. Why come to me? We want you to produce. You want me to produce your war? Not a war, it's a pageant. We need a theme, a song, some visuals. We need, you know, it's a pageant. New Line Cinema presents. How close are you to this? What do you want the kid to say? All the spectacle. I know we're all concerned for the president. I am no more concerned for the president. I know uh, that we're all concerned for the president. Please sell the line. All the drama. The president's going to go to war with Albania in about 30 minutes. Albania's hard to ride. These are chimps. The injury arm position on the string will be a chip, and we'll punch you in the right? And all the effects of real war. Okay, put the, the village behind. Please, the sound of screaming. Without the casualties. America has seldom witnessed a more poignant picture. This same process with the last choice thing. You're the man. Albania, Albania. Headline. I can't believe that you put that. It's like you sent him the Christmas card. Maybe that's Dr. Wilson. No, no, no. Okay, there you go. if I may. Welcome to this. All right. Anybody want a beer? Because it's cooking, it's cooking. Well, Academy Award winning director Barry Levinson. When this gets 
international, I get to put it on my resume? Actually, what, what could I do to me? I think it would be on security. Academy Award winner Dustin Hoffman. This is politics at its finest. Academy Award winner Robert De Niro. How would you like an ambassadorship? That's my thing. Well, I just do for a story to tell. I'm just kidding. No, no, it's just a, it's a, it's a pageant. It's a pageant. That's what it is. When the dog. Okay. Uh, so, uh, an older movie. Um, I, I hope you have paid attention to the trailer. A couple of questions before I ask my question. Um, this movie was a little bit um, prescient. So it came out in December of 1997. It was, as you just saw, kind of about the wagging the dog military thing. Uh, in January of 1998, the Monica Lewinsky scandal broke. And within days of that scandal breaking, um, President Clinton um, bombed Afghanistan and Sudan. And so it was, uh, this movie was a, almost a little too on the nose, but it actually preceded, it didn't follow uh, those, those real historical events. Okay, so um, um, audience response. Um, in that movie, what is the distraction and what is the substance? Okay, the war is the distraction and the substance is? The very beginning, you might have missed it if you haven't seen this movie. But it's the same thing as happened with Clinton. <laughs> it's, a, it's a sexual misconduct, right? There's a sex scandal in the White House. Okay, so in that movie, the distraction is the sex scandal. And I'm sorry, no, I said it backwards. The substance is the sex scandal and the distraction is the fake war in Albania that they manufacture, okay? Um, in the movie, yeah, in the movie, it's all pretend, right? So they, they get a movie producer to come in and they, they fake a war in Albania. They don't really have one. Um, uh, we, I don't know how far down this road I want to go, but you could make an argument, actually, um, that everything in that was distraction, right? That even the sex scandal itself distracts from the real important work of the presidency and whether the president's doing a good job of that or not. Now, I, I also believe that character matters, right? So I'm not saying it doesn't, but um, it's interesting that in that movie, even the substance is kind of a, a kind of distraction. Uh, so here's my question. Um, what makes for a great distraction? What makes for a great distraction? Um, what makes for something that can really pull us off of the substantive stuff? Not necessarily in politics, just in life in general. Um, any ideas? Yeah, surely. Okay. Important and unexpected. Ooh, I really like that. Okay, great. Anything that changes the narrative. Ah, okay. Anything that changes the narrative. Okay, that's great. I love that too. Awesome. Okay. Something that people would be afraid of, fear. Ah, fear helps a lot. Good, fear is a great distraction, absolutely. Okay, love it. Sensationalism. Sensationalism, drama. It's gotta be, it's gotta be sexy and exciting. It can't be boring, right? Okay, good. Um, so I, I love all of that. Um, I'm gonna come back to what Shirley said at the very beginning, um, um, but I think it, it, it it captures several of the things you said. Uh, I think a great distraction always feels urgent and often really isn't, right? It, it feels super important, it feels sensational, it might be scary, it might be drama, it might be enough to change the subject of your life or of your church or of your community or of your nation. 
Um, it feels really urgent, but it often really isn't, okay? Um, so uh, I, I wanna talk a little bit about an example of a very effective distraction strategy. Uh, so if you've got a Bible, you can flip to Genesis chapter 25. Uh, if you don't, I'm gonna read it to you anyway. Um, this is Genesis chapter 25, beginning with verse 29. This is the story of Jacob and Esau. So just as a reminder, Esau and Jacob are the children of Rebekah and Isaac and the grandchildren of Sarah and Abraham. And they are twins, but Esau was born first. And therefore, in Jewish culture, like in most ancient world cultures, the firstborn has most of the inheritance rights, right? The firstborn receives all the inheritance of the family so that the land isn't broken up into smaller and smaller parcels. Uh, and so in this moment, um, Jacob is going to uh, distract Esau out of his inheritance. This is Genesis chapter 25, beginning with verse 29. Once, when Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was famished. Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stuff, for I am famished. Therefore he was called Edom. Edom sounds like red. Jacob said, First, sell me your birthright. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, Swear to me first. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Okay. So uh, here's what I want to ask you to do. Um, Joel, if you'll put people into groups online, and I'm going to ask maybe you four and you three to be in groups here. Um, I want to ask you to answer two questions together. Um, the first question is, in that story we just read about Jacob and Esau, to each character, what is distraction and what is substance? Okay, that's pretty straightforward. And then um, I really like this, this quote by Levi Lusco. He says, now yells louder but later lasts longer. Now yells louder, but later lasts longer. So how does that quote relate to Jacob and Esau's story? Okay, so for each character, what is distraction, what is substance in this story? And um, now yells louder, but later lasts longer. How does that relate to their account? Okay, and um, Joel, let's give people like, I don't think this is very hard. So we're going to give you like, Three minutes, is that okay, Joel? And then we'll pull everybody back. Okay, thanks. Go get them. Uh, just real quickly then, um, I heard some conversation in here. So somebody online, what did you guys say about, um, sorry, about which character is, uh, thought what thing was distraction and substance? Anybody wanna weigh in on that real quick? For Esau, what, what's the substance for Esau and what's the distraction for Esau? The food. Which one is it? Is the food the substance or the distraction? Distraction. Okay. So he is, I agree, he is distracted by it, right? He is pulled Correct. off point. Um, he might think it's the substance, right? He wants it more at the moment. But but we sort of read the story and say, hey, boy, that's a bad choice, right? You don't want to make that trade. Um, and, and Jacob obviously recognizes the birthright is the prize, right? He's looking for the birthright. Um, uh, I, I guess I just want to make this point. Maybe it's so basic it doesn't worth, isn't worth making. But um, when we talk about 
substance and distraction, we can't assume that we all agree on what each thing is, right? So some folks are going to say, um, you know, Jacob in this moment clearly recognizes the food is a distraction to get what he wants, which is the, which is the birthright. But Esau says, I can't be bothered with my birthright right now. I'm so excited about eating, right? The birthright is almost a distraction. Get out of my way with that birthright nonsense. I want some dinner. Um, so we're not always on the same page about what is substantive and what is not. I think the scripture is pretty clear, right? That Esau makes the wrong choice. Um, John, uh, not John Orberg, Anley Stanley talks about this passage and he says, you know, I wish I could go and talk with Esau and say, for thousands of years, the God of the universe will introduce himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau, if you simply honor your birthright. But if you throw it away for the pot of stew, like your name will disappear and the God of the universe will be called the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? It ought to be an easy choice, um, but he makes the wrong choice, right? He, he, he yields to what we recognize as distraction. Um, okay, what about the now versus later conversation? How did, how did that play into this story? Okay, fantastic. So Esau is a now guy, right? I mean, Esau is in the moment, now matters, who cares what happens later? And Jacob, though he is not a good guy in this story, Jacob is a later guy, right? Jacob is focused on the long term, on what's going to matter tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Um, okay, so um, I think, and I don't think I'm going on a limb here, I think this is pretty biblical, um, that, that uh, the enemy's number one plan is uh, let now win out over later. Right? I, I think if, if Satan has one goal in our lives, he would like us to pick things that have value now and no value later. Right? Don't spend time with your children because you'd much rather watch that football game. Don't think about honoring your spouse because um, this person over here that you just met is so much more attractive. Don't think about how you're going to honor God with your money. Go gambling tomorrow and see how much you can make. Right? Um, the, 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 the plan of Satan is almost always now over later. Right? Does that kind of make sense? Uh, and and most sin is not saying, I want to do this bad thing for the sake of doing a bad thing. Most sin is saying, I want to do this bad thing because I get some immediate benefit from it right this minute. Yeah? So, I mean, even the most extreme things, right? Most people um, don't commit murder because they're bored and think it'd be fun to do. They commit murder because they're so angry that they have to get or, or they're so jealous, or they want to steal your money and you're in the way, or there's some immediate reason, right? Some immediate benefit that they value more than the long-term value of that person's life or the effect instant, on their soul. Go ahead. Instant gratification. Instant gratification, right, absolutely. I think this is kind of uh, a distraction strategy, right? But I think this is kind of how Satan works in general, is that he tries to distract us from what matters now, um, what matters later with what he can try to convince us matters now. I think this is true for individuals. I think it's true for churches. I think it's true for communities, for nations, etc. right? Um, he would love to get us to focus on things that are immediate and pressing and urgent, but don't really matter. So um, I, I want to ask you, uh, yeah, we have time to do this. I, I want to ask you um, to do one more quick breakout group and I want you to think a little bit more about this distraction idea of, of the now over later. And I want to ask you two main questions. The first one is what um, distractions or tools of distraction today 
keep us from substance in our lives and in our churches. So what, what in our world today is effective at distracting us from things that matter? Okay, and that's on a personal level, right? On a personal level and a faith level, what distracts us? Um, and then if you get this far, um, I think it's interesting to ask, what tools of distraction today keep us from substance on our political level, right? So in, in terms of um, our, our national politic, uh, I'm not asking you to point fingers, that's not the point, right? But, but what distracts us from things that matter? So in, in our personal lives, and then if you have time, um, in that political arena as well. What is effective at distracting us? Make sense? Distracting us from what matters, right? What, like the now versus the later, right? Okay. Um, Joel, can we give people another four minutes? Is that okay? And then pull people back? Okay. Thanks very much. Go get them. Okay. Um, I hear lots of good conversation. I hate to end it. Um, but I just want to have you share it with everybody. So tell me um, a little bit about what, um, what aspects of distraction affect us as individuals uh, in, in our lives today. What, what did you guys come up with in terms of things that distract us as individuals? The internet, for one. The internet. Okay, just in general. Yes, I agree. Yeah. iPhones. No, that's good iPhones. Okay. Yep. iPhones. We talked about technology. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Money. Money. Yeah. Money. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Sports. Yeah. Or lack thereof. Anything on television. Yeah. Or sports or lack thereof. We, we talked a little bit about, you know, just all the innumerable wonderful things that can happen on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. other than church. Right, you know, there's always a golf game or a How about sleep? or sleep or <laughs> we all like to go to Pillow Presbyterian sometimes, you know. Pillow uh, Presbyterian, I like that. Um, Our ego. Okay. Ego. Okay. Oh, I like that. Yep. Ego. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Oh, Joel had a good one. Um, what was yours, Joel? I don't remember. I oh, said oh, a lot. Okay. Um, <laughs> What, what will people think? And maybe that's part of the ego is, is what will people think if I do this or don't do this or, or maybe if I don't do a good job, you know, what would people think? You know, that's great. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Okay. Um, so lots, you got lots of great ideas. Uh, out of curiosity, what about the second question? What came up in terms of distractions that keep us from substance in our political arena? Any ideas for that one? We didn't get that far. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, that, that's okay. Um, yeah, we didn't either. <laughs> well, that means the first question was good. That makes me happy. That's great. Yeah, that's great. We got distracted. If you uh, if you change the focus, you know, if if you um, whatever that topic may be, and let's say it's voter suppression, if if that's a topic that needs addressing, and then there's other things that that change that focus instead of spending some time on discussion and solving. Okay, great. That comes great. back to money also. Yeah, uh -huh. money can be a distraction in politics. I've heard that, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, let me give you two examples that came up for me on, on, on the politics one, because I knew the other one was gonna be a lot easier. Um, and uh, one of them is, so this is, I just call this distraction strategy in action. Um, social media? is oh, an incredibly yeah. distracting thing in politics, right? 
Um, I, I, I have not watched this yet, but I, I just came across a documentary on Netflix called uh, The Social Dilemma. And I'm gonna play you the trailer for that just so you get a sense of it, because even the trailer was really interesting for me to think about the ways social media is so effective at distracting us. Um, so I'll just play this for you real quick. Jim, the other trailer was very difficult to hear. Oh, it was. Um, how do I fix that? Can Joel, Joel, could you hear it at all? It, it was quiet, but I, I mean, we could hear it, but it was quiet. Um, it was hard to hear. Okay. Let me just give one second. I'm going to, this is a sound issue. Let me see if I can change my out, no input. Um, I'm going to change my input volume. It might make me louder. But we'll see if that helps. I'm now I'm whispering, so I'm not too loud. Okay, let's try the video and then I'll stop whispering. Somebody give me a thumbs up if you hear it better. When you go to Google and type in climate change is, you're going to see different results depending on where you live and the particular things that Google knows about your interests. That's not by accident, that's a design technique. What I want people to know is that everything they're doing online is being watched, is being tracked. Every single action you take is carefully monitored and recorded. A lot of people think Google's just a search box and Facebook's just a place to see what my friends are doing. What they don't realize is there's entire teams of engineers whose job is to use your psychology against you. I was the co-inventor of the Facebook like button. I was the president of Pinterest. Google, Twitter, Instagram. There were meaningful changes happening around the world because of these platforms. We were naive about the flip side of that coin. You get rewarded by parts, likes, thumbs up, and we conflate that with value and we conflate it with truth. A whole generation is more anxious, more depressed. I always felt like fundamentally it was a force for good. I don't know if I feel that way. Facebook discovered that they were able to affect real-world behavior and emotions without ever triggering the user's awareness. They are completely curious. Fake news spreads six times faster than truths. We're being bombarded with the emotions. Everyone's entitled to their own facts. There's really no need for people to come together. In fact, there's really no need for people to interact. We have less control over who we are and what we really believe. If you want to control the population of your country, there has never been a tool as effective as Facebook. We built these things and we have a responsibility to change it. The intention could be, how do we make the world better? If technology creates mass chaos, loneliness, more polarization, more election hacking, more inability to focus on the real issues, we're toast. This is checkmate on humanity. Okay, I, I love that um, he has to be so dramatic as to say this is checkmate on humanity. I think that might be overstating his case. Um, one second, I'm gonna turn my volume down so I'm not screaming at you guys again. Um, let's see. How do I sound now, Joel? Is that volume okay? Can you hear me fine? All right, good. Um, Your clarity is good, yes. My clarity is good. Okay, excellent. Um, so I, I just thought that was an interesting perspective. Um, I'm not recommending that documentary. I haven't watched it at all. But um, the, the myriad of ways that social media is so effective at distracting us from 
substantive things, both from the simple addiction of scrolling through Facebook for hours and hours, all the way to the sort of malicious um, spread of fake news or the idea of earning your own self-worth from how many likes you get, all of that stuff, right, is a very effective distraction, um, not just in our personal lives, but in our, our body politic. Um, one other just quick one that came to my mind that's obvious but worth mentioning um, would be the sort of mudslinging personal attack stuff that we see. Um, I had a video for this, but I'm, I'm not going to play it. I'm just going to tell you what it is. Um, there is a, there's an episode of the West Wing. I'm a West Wing fan. It's an episode of the West Wing that comes at the end of season six, and it's the last episode of that season. And it's the Democratic National Convention, and they are – in their own words, the Democrats are eating their young, right? They're fighting out about who's going to get nominated to be president. And one of the guys is a guy named uh, Baker, who's the, the governor of Pennsylvania. And it comes out that his wife has had clinical depression and nobody knew about this until the convention. And a major theme of that episode is whether or not the other Democratic candidates for, for nominee will out this information about her depression. And one person says, well, the you they didn't get vetted like we got vetted, so everyone should find this out. Or, and somebody else says, well, it's only you know, an eight hour news cycle, but it can ruin her life. And, and there's this complicated conversation about whether or not they expose this very private information about the wife of the person running for president. Um, and, and as I watched that, it was really clear to me, boy, that is pure distraction, right? I mean, she's not running for office. She's not gonna go down on the corner of, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue and sell state secrets for Zoloft, right? I mean, that's, we no longer, I hope in our culture, think that depression is um, a personal failing. And, you know, the idea that that would be brought up in a political debate just bothers me, right? Now, I know it's on TV, it wasn't real, but it bothered me anyway. Um, and I thought, boy, you know, so often those sorts of conversations in our political discourse are just distractions. And I, I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying the character doesn't matter, though I don't see how the wife of a candidate's depression could ever matter. Um, but I am saying that it's pretty rare that I look at a candidate and um, I need to evaluate them based on that sort of personal attack, right? If I can't evaluate a candidate based on what they think about different issues and topics, um, if I can't make my decision on who to vote for, who to support based on their positions and whether they agree with my positions, um, then uh, I don't know how else I can make a choice, but I don't think that the, the personal mudslinging stuff is the way to go, right? Um, so uh, I think there's a million of these examples, but there was just two easy ones for me about how we use distraction to get away from sort of the main idea um, in our real world, just as it happened in that movie. So um, I wanna transition and talk about the alternative. Right, so if, if the world has sort of a distraction strategy, if our enemy in our own lives often uses a distraction strategy to keep us away from what matters, what's the alternative? What's the substantive strategy? What, what, what does Jesus do? Um, so I need you to pull out your Bibles again, and we're gonna look at Mark chapter three. Mark chapter three. And um, this is the, near the beginning of Jesus's ministry. And if we had a little bit more time, we would start earlier in chapter two with verse 23, because this is the second of two stories about the Sabbath. But I'm just going to read chapter three, verses one through six of, of the Gospel of Mark. Listen again for God's word. 
Again, Jesus entered the synagogue, and a man was there who had a withered hand. They watched him to see whether he would cure him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, Come forward. Then he said to them, Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. He looked around them with anger. He was grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately conspired with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Okay, um, so I, I want to ask you a couple of questions about this story. And I, I think, if, again, maybe this will be our last time, but Joel, if we'll go back into groups one more time. Um, I want to ask you two questions. The first is, to each of the characters, so to the Pharisees, to Jesus, uh, maybe to the man with the withered hand, what is the substance and what is the distraction? Okay, just in the story, what's the substance and what's the distraction? Uh, and then what frustrates Jesus and this story and why? Okay, so what's the substance and distraction in this story of the man in the synagogue with a withered hand? And what frustrates Jesus in this story and why? Okay, everybody make sense? Um, Joel, can we do, an, uh, how about four three to four minutes again, something in that window? Okay, okay. Um, so just quickly, somebody share with me, um, what's, what's the substance and what's the distraction? Um, let's, let's do it from Jesus's perspective first, because from, from, he's the one who matters the most. From Jesus's perspective, what's the substance in this story and what's the distraction in this story? Showing love by healing the man. Okay, that's the substance. Totally agree. Okay. Showing love by healing the guy is the substance. What's the distraction? The Pharisees. Yeah. Pretty much everything the Pharisees do is a distraction, but the law. They're, they're ridiculous laws, right? The law, right? Exactly. Exactly. Um, so for the, and for the Pharisees, we're, we're probably going to flip it, right? They're going to say the law matters and he's doing it wrong. Um, what about the guy whose hand needs to be healed? Who does he agree with? The Pharisees or Jesus? Jesus. Jesus, right? I mean, come on, like that's a given. Um, what, so what frustrates Jesus in this story? What, what, what specifically does it say bothers him in this story? The hardness of their hearts. Okay, the hardness of their hearts. Um, so I, I, was, I was saying with my group, but um, there's not that many places in the Bible where Jesus gets angry. And it always kind of perks my ears up, right? Because it isn't always the way I think about Jesus. And here Jesus is angry, and he's angry at the hardness of their hearts, right? That, that they just don't really care. They don't really care about the, the people in the story. They're just into their rules. Um, okay, so uh, I, I want to think about how we can use this story a little bit to help us in our attempt to discern substance from distraction in our world, in our lives, etc. cetera. Uh, so... Um, these are some rhetorical questions, but as we read this passage, um, does keeping the Sabbath matter? Yes, right? Yes, keeping the Sabbath matters. It's one of the Ten Commandments. It's a big deal. In fact, uh, in the Old Testament, if you don't keep the Sabbath, you can get kicked out of Israel or killed, right? It's quite significant. Um, in Jesus's day, it is the number one visible thing you do 
to, to be the people of God, right? Sort of like for us going to church, well, back when we all went to church or, or tuning in online, right, is the number one visible thing we do, right? So it's a big, big deal. Um, does healing sick people matter? Of course, right? Of course, we agree that healing sick people matters. Um, the, the question in this moment for me is, you know, what matters most? And, and, it's not, and, and it's not, go ahead, I'm sorry. Go ahead, I'm sorry, say again. Oh no, I'm getting oh, no, an echo I'm getting effect. an echo effect. <laughs> That's going to be terrible if that continues for the rest of the night. Okay, good, it stopped. Um, it's interesting that when Jesus, and, and this is in, uh, if you want to follow, this is in, in verse 3, when Jesus um, recognizes that their only interest is to accuse him of breaking Sabbath law by doing this miracle, he tries to, he invites the man forward, and then verse 4 he says to them, is it lawful to do good or do harm on the Sabbath, to save life or to kill? So he says, what's the Sabbath really about? Right? What's the point of the Sabbath? And you guys, are, you guys Pharisees, have missed the main idea, right? That it's about connecting with God. And here is God in the flesh doing things only God can do that reveals the heart and love and compassion of God. And you guys are so into your rules, you're missing the main thing, right? Um, so I, I think that's one really important question. What's the main thing? Um, the Pharisees, I'm, I'm going through this fast because I'm running out of time. The, the Pharisees obviously should have learned about Jesus and about God, um, that God has more interest in people than in rules, right? And they can't because of their hearts, right? Because of the hardness of their hearts. Um, and, and, and I really like this question at the end. Um, can we be more than rule followers? So we'll get to the politics thing in a minute, but just in our own personal lives, I don't think Jesus calls us to be less than rule followers, right? Jesus doesn't say the law and the prophets are irrelevant and ignore them. They're stupid and old. No, he says um, the law and the prophets um, will last forever, right? And neither the, the smallest dot of an I or the cross of a T will disappear until the kingdom of God comes. But we need to be more than just rule followers, Right? He says, I expect more out of you than just saying, don't heal people on the Sabbath. I expect you to understand the point of the Sabbath, right? And understand why God gave us the Sabbath and how it helps us connect with him and who he is um, so that when he shows up in the flesh in your midst, you recognize him by his compassion and his love and his power. Uh, and you're not so distracted by this, this surface level stuff, right? Um, just in general, every time I read this story, I think, boy, I, I want to be not less than a rule follower. I want to be more than a rule follower. Um, but, but as we try to apply this tonight, um, three big ideas for us, uh, for me, that help me think about the question in our world today, in my personal life, in our political world, et cetera, about discerning substance from distraction. Distractions and substance can both matter, but substance matters more in context. Okay? Distractions and substance can both matter, but substance matters more in context. What, what that means for me, is um, as the Sabbath matters a great deal and as healing people matters a great deal, as hunger is important and birthrights are important, so too there will be many things in my life that matter. Uh, and, and one of the most important aspects of discipleship is to say what matters most in this moment, right? in this context. In this moment, uh, am I supposed to be working super hard or am I supposed to be going home in the evening to see my kids? right? Working is a good thing, and seeing my kids is a good thing. But in this context, what's the right thing? If I'm going home to see my kids all day long every day and skirking my work responsibilities, that's not good, right? So the context helps us figure out 
you know, what's a distraction and what's substance? Um, and, and so a really simple question for us to ask in our personal lives, is this the most important thing in this situation, right? In this moment, is this what Christ wants for me? Um, the second, for me, takeaway from this passage, distractions are predicated on our hardness of heart. Soft hearts are necessary for substantive change. Um, that, again, this is true in my personal life. It's true in our political world. Um, I, uh, I had a conversation with somebody um, earlier this week who um, is struggling with, with alcohol. And they had a confrontation with a family member who said, I really expect change in your behavior in this area. And this person's response was, I don't want someone else to tell me what I can and can't do. And I thought, yeah, you know what? Um, I don't want someone to control me either, but I feel like um, your hardness of heart, right? Your, your, this is what matters for me and I'm right and you're wrong is keeping you from being able to hear a message that might bring important substantive change. Uh, and so, for me, like a, a good question to ask on a regular basis is, how am I predisposed to a bias in this area? Right? So in this area, um, I'm already thinking if I'm the person, I'm, I'm, I'll put myself in that person's shoes for a minute. Um, I really like alcohol. I don't want to stop drinking alcohol. I, I recognize that it makes you uncomfortable, and I'm sorry it makes you uncomfortable, and maybe I'll try to drink a little bit less, but, but I like alcohol, and it's important to me, and I'm not going to give it up. Right? And so my bias um, brings this sort of hardness of heart that makes it very difficult for me to hear the message that someone's trying to bring that might bring me a meaningful change. I'm not suggesting that in every area of our life, when somebody shows up and says, I want you to change, we should do it. Right? That's not the point. I'm suggesting um, that very often in our individual lives and in our political reality, we are so certain, so hard-hearted um, that we don't have the ability to hear another side of a coin. And, and for me, it's really helpful to sometimes step back and say, hey, you know what? I bet I have a little hard-heartedness on this topic. And I don't have to agree with so-and-so, but if I can soften my heart to hear what they're saying, I might at least know where they're coming from a little bit. And maybe they'll persuade me and maybe they won't, but I'd rather be open to the conversation than have the door closed from the beginning, right? And, and I feel like this is the problem with the Pharisees, right? The door is closed from the beginning. They're not open to the idea that Jesus might be who he says he is. Uh, and when he does amazing things, they find ridiculous ways to explain them away, right? The, the Pharisees in the story, I hope you notice this, but they literally say, don't heal a man on the Sabbath. Because if you heal a man on the Sabbath, that's wrong. And when, they, when Jesus does that, they run off and they say, okay, let's plan to murder somebody on the Sabbath, right? They, they get together and they plan the murder of Jesus on a Sabbath. That apparently is okay, right? Um, the hard-heartedness lets us make these crazy choices. So just a self-awareness to say, boy, in this moment, I can tell that I'm, I'm not listening well. I'm getting angry. I'm getting upset. How do I soften my heart to hear what you're saying? I don't have to agree with you, but I just want to be able to hear you. Right? Um, okay. And then uh, last but not least, um, I, I think this is an obvious one, but, but it bears, uh, it's worthy of saying, the purpose of distractions are to camouflage substance. So um, in this moment, the Pharisees are, and they do this again and again and again throughout scripture, they're, they're looking for an opportunity to trick or trap Jesus. 
right? And so um, we are supposed to recognize that behind their distraction, behind what they're doing wrong, something important is happening and they are trying to keep us and they're trying to keep the man with the withered hand and everybody else in the synagogue and everybody else in Israel from seeing what matters, right? And their ultimate goal of killing Jesus is a distraction, right? They want to distract people from his message. They want to distract people from this idea of who he says God really is. They want to distract people from what he says God is like, right? They don't like this idea of a God of grace and mercy who loves sinners and broken people and cares more about people than rules. And that's not what they want, right? So, so their whole ministry is a ministry of distraction to cover up something that matters. Um, so I want to ask very often, um, is this thing distracting me from something better, right? So as I'm watching the news or as I'm, uh, as I'm tuning in to hear what's going on in our political world uh, and I hear whatever salacious thing is happening in this moment, one question I sometimes ask is, is this distracting me from something more important? Right? Is, there, is there a substantive issue that's going on that I'm not able to think about or care about because my social media feed is blowing up with whatever crazy thing it's blowing up with right now? Um, and, and so for me, every time a distraction comes, um, I want to think, boy, I bet there's something more important that matters. Um, every time I find myself um, wanting to go home and um, I'll, I'll tell you that in the last three days, I've been sort of sports crazy. Okay. So last night I watched the Lakers game. Then before that I watched the Packers game. Then before that I watched the Lakers game. Um, and, and last night I came home, I had a, a church meeting, came home after that, talked to my wife, put the kids in bed, talked to my wife a little bit more, and then said, I'm gonna go watch the game. And, and, and my wife, um, who was wonderful, just sort of very graciously said, oh. And I can tell in that moment, right, that that distraction of all the sports that I was so excited about was keeping me from um, spending time with her and she, she needed that time, right? That, that, that was more important. Um, and to my credit, though I wasn't going to originally do the right thing, in the moment I was able to hear that enough to say, oh, wait a minute, the Lakers are great. I really want them to win the championship, but they are distracting me from something better, which is my wife. And so I'm, I'm not going to go watch that game right now. I'm going to spend uh, 30 minutes and have a meaningful conversation with my wife first, right? So um, three really easy questions that I ask on a regular basis, right? Is this the most important thing in this situation? Um, how am I hard-hearted in this area? And is this distracting me from something better? Um, I think um, that, oh gosh, okay. Um, I, I think this can be really helpful for us if we, if we try to apply them, not just in our personal lives, but in our political world as well. Okay, I, gotta, <clears throat> I apologize. I know I'm going over, but I gotta say one more thing. Um, and this is my little... I like to throw a little grenade into the, into the mix every now and then. So um, my little grenade is, um, are there times when all politics are a distraction? So we know that there are some politics that are distractions, right? The social media thing, the mudslinging thing, whatever else. Um, my question would be, are there times when all politics are, distraction, are a distraction and how do we tell when? Um, and um, I just very briefly, I would say, when Jesus' substance was never about Rome, it was never about the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the Jewish rel religious leadership, right? His substance was always about the kingdom of heaven, right? Who is God? How do you know him? How do we all come to know him? How do we live together in his kingdom in, in, in a right way that honors him? Um, it doesn't mean that none of that political stuff mattered, right? It, it means that um, it mattered 
to Jesus if it mattered to the kingdom of God? Right? So sometimes, maybe it's a good question to ask, how is this aspect of our politics relevant or irrelevant to the kingdom of God? And sometimes that's really easy to answer, right? Sometimes it's really easy to say whether or not this politician's wife has depression is irrelevant to the kingdom of God, except as much as I want her to know that God loves her and, and that's not her fault, right? Um, and sometimes it's really obvious that it is relevant to the kingdom of God, right? So, you know, being able to say with the Civil Rights Act that Black people should be able to vote and be treated as equal citizens, that, that seems like that's the way God calls us to live together and, and, and love one another as our neighbor. Um, but then there's a lot of times where I just question, right? Does this even matter? Like, will there be a day where, where Jesus comes back and he says, what did you think about X, Y, and Z? Or X, Y, and Z just things that, you know, have a great deal of temporal significance and very little eternal significance. And are there times when politics itself becomes the now that distracts me from the later, right? Um, so I'm, I, this is not like all politics are bad, that's not my point, right? But I just wanna ask that question, right? I think there are times when the whole, um, well, a lot of politics can distract us from the things that are of the kingdom of God. So I like this question, how is this aspect of our politics relevant or irrelevant to the kingdom of God? Okay, um, I apologize. I know I'm over. Um, I, I just do want to pause for a minute. Are there any, any thoughts or questions about this just general idea? Um, I flew through a lot of the end there. Um, I, I, I hope this concept kind of is making sense. Surely. Well, I think I'm... Yeah. Let me let me repeat that, and then you go with. I'll just repeat that what Shirley said, so everyone online can hear. So Shirley said, um, for her part of the re, the, um, uh, we we read this book on judges, and we did a study on judges a, a, a few months ago with a women's Bible study, and she said, you know, she looked at that. A lot of the politics and judges just looked like nonsense, right? And I think I agree with you. Um, and then she said, um, you know, she trusts that God has a plan, and that in the midst of all that's going on, we're not gonna trump God's plan, right? We, we can't overcome his plan, his plan will overcome us, which is a great source of comfort for me as well. Yeah. Ruth, go ahead. I, I was just gonna say in that, in that uh, political idea is, is the issue that is at hand, how does that impact people's health, well-being, and freedom? And in the scripture, we're talking about the a direct effect on that man's well-being. And so there's a lot of politics that are not, that hit that area of, it impacts their health, their well-being, or their freedom. And those are very important. Yeah, great. Absolutely. Um, and and what, just to build on what you just said, one of the conversations in my discussion group was, you know, the Pharisees don't seem to care about people very much. And, and it comes down to people, right? People matter. And so when politics touch on people's lives in meaningful ways, yeah, that's, that they may be places we need to be engaged. That's great. That's great. Any other thoughts or comments? Okay. Um, thanks very much. Um, I, I hope that as we um, keep going forward, we keep asking the same question. That's what I ask every time we end. Is this naive? Maybe it is. Um, I recognize that avoiding distractions and focusing on substance is not gonna miraculously heal all political division, right? Um, but I do think it'll help our conversations matter more and allow them to be more grace-filled and truthful. And so that's my hope, right? My hope is that 
all of these become arrows in the quiver for us, not to uh, solve all the problems, but to uh, navigate the problems in a more Christ-like way. Um, so next week, we're going to talk about truth claims, and um, we'll be in the Gospel of John. I'm looking forward to that. But right now, let me close this in prayer. Gracious God, we thank you and love you. Um, we thank you for the incredible good news that you are a God who cares about us, and um, not just as people that can follow your rules, but as sons and daughters. And so we pray that uh, tonight you would help us to be more than rule followers. We pray you'd help us to be a people who are committed to living substantive lives, that you would protect us from the distractions of the enemy uh, that try to divide us from you and from each other. And we pray you'd help us to have a, a later perspective to value things that are eternal over things that are temporal. Uh, and we pray, Lord, that as we strive to become a people that care about the substantive things of our world, uh, that you would give us clarity to know what those are uh, and how to follow you faithfully in the midst of um, all of these questions and challenges. And we thank you, Jesus, for your love, for your life, for your death, and for your resurrection. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.